Good morning, how are you? Good to see you. Um, we are not doing uh, the Psalms today. Uh, once a year I stop and do a State of the Church address. To, that's today where we talk about the vision of the church for the new year. So if you're here for the Psalms, uh, that's not going to be today. So anybody want to leave? Or No? Okay. We're going to have a good time as we look at our church and where God has taken us. So I'm going to be taking you all over the place scripturally. So uh, uh, prepare, hold on to your seats. So uh, let's pray as we go to the scriptures. And if you are visiting today, before you leave, make sure you stop at the visitor center out, out there and talk to the ladies and they'd like to meet you. So let's pray. God, thank you just for uh, a few moments to look at this local church, which is an extension of the uh, larger church, your body. And we pray that we might learn uh, what we need to be doing in 2021 uh, to be the church not just to Burke, but uh, to the whole area where you've placed us. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, 2020 was an interesting year, was it not? Oh my gosh, like what else could happen? You know, so I, uh, last February I flew to Israel, uh, took 55 people, uh, had an awesome time, got to the airport, getting ready to get on the Turkish Airlines, and there was a sign there that said, if you're having COVID, ex yeah. oh, what? COVID what? What's that? Uh, didn't think anything about it. Flew back, landed. Then a few days after we landed, they closed Israel. Like we would have been stuck there in the hotel for two weeks. That would have been unbelievable. So I, I was like, wow. And then next thing I know, I no sooner land and we're, we're, and we're canceling live worship. It just kind of went downhill from there, didn't it? I must say, preaching to an empty room with no one in it, with the lights off to create a better contrast for online community was not optimal. It was really, that was really hard. At first I thought, that's ah, no big deal. Oh, after the first time I did it, it's like, there's no one to smile, no one to interact, no one to laugh. It was, it was unbelievable. So some lady emailed me, and I apologize if you are that lady that emailed me, uh, uh, emailed me and said, you know, you just don't seem as happy and funny as you were before. I'm like, hello, there's, there's no one in the room. You try talking to a black vacuum and make it exciting. That was, wow. Yeah, that was, a, that was really rough. So it was, it was an interesting year. So we had to, I think we were running 2,400 people uh, in church at the time. So that changed youth, uh, youth groups, men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry. It just kind of, we had to do things differently, function differently, create, adapt, do new things, more online stuff. So it was good. We learned a lot of things. Uh, but it was, it was tough. Um, so when I was thinking about, uh, you know, the year that we just went through, all the challenges, um, and then what lies ahead, uh, there, I don't know how you feel about political cartoons. I like them. And I have weird humor. I know. Uh, here is a cartoon that kind of summarizes the year for me. Have you seen this? Do you understand this? Because I've had some people go, I do not see what's going on in that cartoon. So you have the earth. You see the earth. And it's being overtaken by a giant COVID planet. Do you see that now? Oh, now I see it. Yes. That's like a Rorschach test. Yeah, so it, that's kind of like the year, wasn't it? The COVID is a planet taking over the entire Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of like that. So that, that, that was unbelievable. We, I'd never seen anything like that happen. But then the, it didn't stop there, did it? I mean, no sooner did we had the COVID than we had huge cases of, an, of injustice uh, in our country that were horrific. It was terrible. Then we had all the rioting that happened, destruction of property, uh, looting. I mean, it was, the, it was unbelievable what happened uh, never seen before in our country to the, to the scale. Uh, political turmoil, uh, corruption within the election system. I've never seen an election like that before in my entire life. 
Uh, and then the year ends with another impeachment of the president. I'm, uh huh? So the whole year is like, okay, don't say what else could happen because it happened like in, like in 2020. So it was, it was just, wouldn't you agree? That was a very, that was, that was like a traumatic year. So, uh, so everybody was saying like, okay, well, 2021 is going to be so much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that I'm a pessimist, but it's like, uh, I don't know, really? Uh, so I have another cartoon, a uh, political cartoon. Founding Fathers. The Silencing Fathers. So now it's like, I'm on Mars as an American. You know, and I know these are private companies. They can do what they want. And if you, you know, you can be on your, you know, your Twitter account and they can take you off. And if you're on Facebook, they can nuke your account. I mean, it's, it's America, right? But it's just, Really? I mean, you got rid of 70,000 people like overnight because you didn't like what they stood for or, or, or what, I mean, huh? So, you know, and my concern is like what goes on in these giant companies exercising their rights as Americans, but it's like, wow, mean-spirited? They're not kind, ruthless? They're, you won't hear the contrary opinion? So it just seems to me it's like, it's like sin is corrosive. It's like what happens in the political realm will eventually be impacted by what's going on in the secular realm. I mean, connect the dots. And so it's just... I don't know, 2021 is turning out to be like a lot different than 2020 and, and bad in other ways. And so, uh, are you depressed? No. No. So, <laughs> it's a counseling situation. You're not depressed. Yeah, God wins. Let's go to lunch. I mean, what are we sitting here talking to this guy for? So, uh, it's, it's interesting pastoring a military church. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so uh, do you think that I get discouraged and depressed? Yeah, I do. I do. I do, because I read. I read a lot. Probably read too much, uh, and I, I. I do. I. I, I do read. And, I, and wow. So I, I've had to cut myself out of a lot of the stuff I used to read because it's like, as an American, as a Christian, as a conservative, I cannot stand for that anymore. I will not read that site anymore. So I have nuked a whole bunch of sites I used to read like every day. I read my Bible and I read all these sites, and then, then I can't go. I can't go where they're going. So nope. I've canceled uh, subscriptions to newspapers and things that it's like, I've had you for 30 years. I cannot do this anymore. And they're like, well, sir, we'll give you three extra months. It's not about three extra months for free. Well, perhaps we'll give you six extra months. You don't get it. It's not about free newspapers. It's about ideology. It's about thinking. It's about what is truth. I cannot and I will not read your paper anymore. So anyway, so I've had to make some adjustments uh, with my life. Have you? So. In, in, the middle of, in the middle of all that, trying to make 2021 just an awesome year, because God wins, um, before I get to my sermon, I got to get this off my chest. Uh, three things why I th I'm excited, okay? I'm confident, okay? Three, three things. This is extra stuff. Uh, and uh, number one, why? Well, in, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus um, took the disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was at the time known as the Gate of Hell. Because, and I take my tour groups there. It's, it's a very spooky place. Uh, huge satanic worship there. There's a giant cliff about 800 feet high, red rock, huge cave. Water used to come out uh, the base of that and bubble forth and do a huge cavern. They built a temple to, to Augustus over it. They used to throw babies in there to sacrifice them to the, the gods. And uh, unbelievable. Next to that is like the temple of Pan. Pan in Greek means everything. It's the temple that covered every god. There's a temple of the dancing goat gods next to that. Goats, symbol of witchcraft, etc. Whole temple. To, I mean, it's an evil, evil place. Jesus took the disciples there. And, and Jesus must have been 
just in shape, physically speaking. Because to walk there from Capernaum, unbelievable. They went up to the Golan Heights, went there. I'm getting to my point. Uh, and while he was there, he looked at that place and he told the disciples, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. He went right, because the devil's not omnipresent. So in Christ's day and time, Jesus said, this is the gate of hell. And he said, they're not going to prevail over the church. So I'm confident. Why? Well, you said it. The church wins. God wins. I'm confident because Jesus said it. Number two, I'm confident. I'm getting to my sermon. Number two, uh, God always works best when times are tough. That's just when he works. I mean, so go figure. God's going to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. And you would think he would pick the most able-bodied, physically fit specimen of a soldier to go do it. Who's he pick? You read the story? An old man, weathered by the desert. You remember him name, his name? Remember him? You have an aha moment, Moses? Yeah, he goes and picks Moses. He's 80 years old, and God says, I'll use you. God wastes on tough times. So we're in tough times, uh, and, and God's like, hey, that's when I do my best work. So I'm, I'm confident God's going to do, do great work. And number three, um, nothing or no one is going to ever thwart the advancement of God's kingdom purposes, ever, never, ever. Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to that. And we're studying Revelation on Sunday nights. There's about a thousand of us that come and, and are part of that Bible study at 630. And we're studying God's kingdom program. Nothing's going to stop it. That's my confidence. Now to my sermon. What about the church, the local church in a, in a situation in which we live? Uh, well, I want us to look at the state of our church, uh, look at a couple of concepts, and there's many we could talk about. It's a big church, a lot of things going on. I want to give you kind of some main things I think are important. But the first one is kind of like a chalk talk with a coach and his team. You know, the chalkboard, and the coach is up there going, you know, Larry, you go here, and you block this guy, that kind of thing. So we'll just take the first point is kind of like consider my chalk talk uh, about our finances, because finances are a way of telling you kind of how you're doing spiritually speaking. Because you could look at a person's spiritual life and say, you're growing spiritually? Because a person's maturing and growing spiritually, they're going to give to God. It's just the way it is. So let's look at our church uh, financially. And, and this is awesome. Because I, I want to look at you as a team and go, awesome team. Because the year was amazing. Uh, we had COVID hit us, the riots, all the things that happened. And there were churches laying people off, shortening their staff, etc. Uh, a lot of hard things happen. Businesses close, etc. So you would think that this would be a, a, the time of year that the church would be financially in hard straits. Uh, now that the year is closed and we've crunched the numbers, our, our overage for last year was almost a million dollars. Did you hear me? That's, that's unbelievable. So it's like, I, was, I forget what it was. It was like nine, $900,000, $74,000, something like that. It was a lot. Overage. I've been in church all my life, and I've never been in a church that had an overage. So I've been here 12 years. We've had an overage every single year for 12 years. In a row, nothing less than 200000 and now this year, almost a million. That is shocking. So what does that tell you about the church? Very obedient, very sacrificial, very loving, very mature, bold for God. I mean, just go down the list. So I commend you for being that kind of church. Um, when I got those figures the other day from uh, Dave Hadway, uh, I thought about 2 Corinthians 8, uh, where Paul is collecting money for the Jerusalem church that's poor from the other churches in the region. Uh, he's coming to Corinthian church from Macedonia, and here's what he says. Verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches in Macedonia. 
that in great trial of affliction, they were financially poor, and the, uh, affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality, speaking of their financial giving to the Jerusalem church. So it's for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, didn't have to coerce them, uh, imploring us with great, much urgency that we would receive the gift in the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Paul said, when I left this poor region, they were begging us to take the money that they really didn't have, but they gave it to God anyway. What mature believers. It's amazing. They gave out of their affliction. Now, I would say that we are not a, a poverty-stricken church. Uh, we are blessed to be an affluent church. God has done that for us. But we have, we, we're not a church that has not had affliction. Because many of you, yeah, you know, they change your hours, cut your hours back, you lost your job, etc. I mean, so we've all had afflictions of various sorts, but in that you have stepped up to the plate and given beyond measure. So in, in my mind, you're like the Macedonians. Uh, you gave uh, with great liberality, and for that, God is blessed. And so now I would say, pray for your elder board, pray, pray for your staff, because we don't want to mess up what God just did, <laughs> you know, Right? You want to use that to advance the purpose of God. And so what does God want us to do? So be in prayer that we would uh, navigate correctly with what God, is, God has given us, correct? Because uh, that's a huge responsibility. And every year we, we, we see this happen. Uh, we also tithe uh, off that back to our missions program uh, to increase what they do. So pray for great wisdom. But as I think about you, I think of uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, where Paul adds these words. It says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So why has God done so many great things in and through this church, through good times, through bad times? It's because you've always been the type of church that gave, well, you sowed greatly and God has blessed greatly. In fact, another stat is uh, years ago when we started the building project uh, and the elders came to me and Darren, the, who was the executive pastor at the time, and said, you know, could you guys raise $9 million for the down payment? We're debt-free, and we need $9 million to be able to handle $50,000 a month payment. Could you raise $9 million? You guys gave almost $13 million. The church did. That's shocking, shocking. So now we're within range of actually paying off our loan that we have just started. So it's just, you look at this, and it's like, wow, what is God doing? So it's amazing. So we, we are here to, to thank you for being a church that's mature, we have a new budget, new year, but we're confident God is going to do great things because you're obedient when it comes to giving. So I, I thank you. Number two, consider our witness for Christ. Boy, like never before. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Christ gives us uh, his last words before he ascends physically into heaven. What does he say? It's not a suggestion. He says, but you, Christian, shall receive what? Power. Where's it coming from? Holy Spirit. When he comes upon you, oh, when's that? Well, at the moment of conversion. Here it was in the context, Pentecost, Acts 2. But at the moment of conversion, you get the power of the Spirit of God. And you shall be my witnesses. Uh, that is the Greek word martus. It sounds a lot like martyr. And that's exactly where the word came from. You shall be my witnesses to me in geographical locations. Start where you are, where you live, Jerusalem. Go out from where you live to the next geographical sector, Judea, Samaria. And then go out from there to the third geographical area, everywhere else, the world. So he says, until I return, until I return, this is what you should be. You should be my witness, if it's even to the point of death, for the gospel of Christ. You know, as I was thinking about that particular command this week from the Lord, uh, I, I, looked at my, I looked back at my life with 2020, and I realized I was extremely distracted all year by all said stuff. Are, are you a news junkie? 
I mean, you're just, I mean, I read this article, that article. You're sending me articles, so I know you're news junkies. You'll watch this video, listen to this guy. I mean, one guy I clicked on the other night, he's speaking for like 45 minutes to an hour. I don't have 45 minutes to an hour. So I'm kind of speed watching this guy. I mean, it's just like, you got 2,400 people sending you stuff. It's like, I can't do it. You know, and so I was thinking about what do we need to keep our eye on as a church? Uh, well, I must say, we must first realize we were probably distracted by COVID and everything else that came with it. So if you, if you were distracted, today's a Sunday to say, God, I repent of my distraction. I'm going to focus on what matters most, and that is for me to be a witness above all things. I mean, how many people did you lead to Christ last week in your distraction, or last year in your distraction? So Jesus uh, puts a proper perspective in John 4, the woman at the well story, uh, and we need to think about what Jesus did here, because it's very, very interesting. Because in John 4, 4, it says, he says to the disciples, he said, I, I must go through Samaria. He didn't have to, uh, because Samaria was disliked by the Jews. They was uh, composed of half-breed Jews that when Tiglath-Pileser III uh, overpowered the ten tribes and carried them to captivity, they, they left the super poor Jews in the land, brought in uh, uh, Goyim, Gentiles from other nations. They intermarried, formed the Samaritans. Jews couldn't stand the Samaritans as an ethnic group. They wouldn't even step foot on the soil. So to go from Jerusalem to Galilee in the north, they would go east over the Jordan River, go north uh, along the Jordan River, then cross back over in the Galilee region. So they didn't even have to touch the soil of the Samaritans. And Jesus says, hey, I've, I've got to go through Samaria. Huh? Now, he goes and meets a woman there, and we know the story, do we? I mean, you know the story, the woman at the well? Yeah, she's there for physical water. Jesus is going to give her spiritual water. I mean, eternal life water. Yeah. But the disciples are all sent off to go find some food. You know, find, you know, find a Burger King, something, five guys, something. go find some food. So they go out to find some food, and Jesus sits down to have a conversation with this woman laden with sin. She's had multiple husbands. She's living with a man in the present. And Jesus sits down to have a conversation with her, which is unheard of. Number one, he's in Samaritan territory, verboten. And number two, he's talking to who? A woman. Unbelievable. So we read in John chapter 4, verse 35, this with that contextual information. He says to the disciples, do you not say that there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, men. Why? Well, they're already white to harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, gathers fruit into eternal life, and both he who sows and he who reaps, they do this so they can rejoice together. He says, for in this saying, it is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you, the disciples, to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Jesus just kind of castigates the disciples. He said, you guys are here in Samaria, and this place is ripe for harvest, spiritual harvest. And he, and he said, you guys are not paying attention. You're worried about physical food, and I'm, I'm worried about physical, spiritual food. You're worried about the, the, the temporal. I'm worried about the eternal. That's why I had this conversation with this woman at this, this well. Because, see, she needed uh, Christ, the living water, more than she needed uh, that jar full of water to take it back home. And she comes to know the Christ. Because in Samaritan theology, Jesus had to help her with her false theology. They believed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, but they didn't believe the rest of the, the writings of the prophets. So they were looking for a prophet to come, Deuteronomy 18, the, the prophesies the prophet that will come. They just didn't think it was going to be God. Jesus sits down with her and tells her, no, you got that all wrong. I am that prophet, and I am God. And then he gives her uh, knowledge of her life, her sinful life, that she knew no man could know but God himself. 
and it convinces her that he is the Messiah. She gets saved at that well because he took time to, well, to show her the gospel. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't try to correct the political views of the Samaritans. You Samaritans are so divisive when it comes to politics. Let's have a discussion. Did he do that? No. Did he talk about the political problems within the, uh, the Jerusalem uh, sector? No. No. He just set, set her down and said, hey, what's going on in your life? I realize it's a, it's a, it's a mess. You need salvation. She trusts Christ. Now, it says concerning the disciples, in verse 30, when they, uh, the, then they went out to the city and they came to him. In the meantime, it says the disciples urged him, saying, because they come back with food. They said, uh, Rabbi, eat. Uh, and he said to them, uh, well, I have food of which you don't know. And they're thinking to themselves, eh, I don't think he had any food. Uh, you've got to love the disciples, right? Uh, hey, has anyone brought him anything to eat? I mean, huh? Uh, and Jesus said to them, no, you, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He said, I'm here on the assignment from the Father to have a, a conversation with this lady, to lead her into the kingdom. That is what I'm here for today. You guys don't realize this food just nourished my soul. I mean, think about this. Uh, he, he said, you guys understand the concept of harvesting that you sow seed and you wait a couple months and eventually uh, there's your crop and then you harvest. He said, you don't realize you're standing in the middle of a wheat field of souls that need to be saved. One time uh, when I was in Israel, I was up in the, uh, I was up in the Golan Heights above, uh, I was on the, on the, uh, the north, north, well, kind of the north western side of the Sea of Galilee on the Arbel Cliffs, about 1,200 feet up above the Sea of Galilee, looking down at the Sea of Galilee, really beautiful. Taught up there, showed people, Capernaum down below, etc. Walking back down to the bus, uh, and the wind was blowing over the mountainside that day, and you could hear the, the wind blowing through the wheat. And you could see it dancing. It was awesome. And I thought to myself, as I stood there and watched the, this is where Jesus walked when he came down from Nazareth this whole area. And you can just see, there's nothing out there. And you can just see the disciples and Jesus having a conversation. Fields of wheat. See, I tend to think that we, we look at what goes on in our culture and we get dismayed by it and bothered by it, which it is bothersome. But we forget that they need salvation more than anything else. That's exactly what they need. They need the Christ. And I think we get too distracted by being news junkies that we are, we are not the martus bringing them the gospel. So today's the day you're gonna put that aside, Right? And you're going to say, God, who is my Samaritan? Who am I going to go to to share with? Because what happens when you lead that Samaritan to Christ? Look at verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him, Jesus, as the Messiah, because of who? The word of one woman with a sordid past. One woman who testified. What did she testify? He told me things no one else could have told me because only God knows these personal things about me. Keep reading. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed there how long? Two days among people that no Jew would go talk to. And many more believed in him because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. They just threw all of their pagan thinking behind and embraced the true Christ. You've got to ask yourself, there's got to be one person waiting for you out there who's the Samaritan, waiting for you in a false system to come tell them about the true Christ. They're just waiting to hear. It's low-hanging fruit. And when that one person gets saved, then there's 10 and there's 15. Because when somebody gets saved, I don't know how it was when you got saved, 
you got, hopefully you got excited, didn't you? I mean, when I got saved in 67, next day was school, because I got saved on a Sunday right before the first day of school on Monday. I went, and everybody's like, hey, how was your summer? Awesome, I got saved yesterday. And my friends are like, whoa, what are you talking about? I remember at cafeteria, it got pretty dicey. We all lined up our plates, and I'm sitting there. I'm totally excited. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, we're sharing what you did during the summer, and I'm telling you, I know Jesus. Oh, my gosh, we lost Marty. Uh, you know, that type of thing. So the thing is, what does the culture need? So do we need more uh, presidential edicts and uh, what do they call those things? Executive orders. Do we need more, more of those to fix everything? No, I'd say not. It doesn't matter which president signs them because they all do. No, we need you going out and saying, that's my parent and I'm telling them about Christ because that one person who gets saved can lead to 100 people getting saved. So we have a new baptistry out there. Have you seen it? Who would not want to get baptized there? It's amazing. Waterfall feeding into the thing. I mean, so... My, my thing is, may we all lead so many people to Christ this year that we are constantly, every Sunday, just having baptismal services with just people just lining up. I mean, this is what you do for the culture. So I'm moving on. Next point. We need to also, in this next year, consider our service, especially because of what COVID has done to the church. Because the church is all about body life. So to have body life, you got to be together. What did COVID do? And, everybody, and I understand everybody's off for all kinds of medical reasons, etc. But pay attention to the scripture, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Uh, Paul talking about the body of the church. It says, but one in the same spirit works in all things, all these things, speaking of spiritual gifts, distributing to each one of us, he says, individually as he wills. Uh, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. So in case you're lost in his analogy, he's saying, just as a human body has multiple parts, and it all works in tandem or in unison together. That's exactly like the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ. We just happen to be the local body of Christ. And he says in here that if you are a Christian, the Spirit of God has given to you a spiritual gift as he willed to give you, right? So this year you should be saying to yourself, I'm a member of the body of Christ, this local body. For the body to function correctly, I have to know what my spiritual gift or gifts are, is or are, and then I must be present to use them. Okay, so Sunday night at 6.30, what happens? Here. Revelation. revelation happens right here, right? So we teach Revelation here. We have a good time. It's one hour. Boom, we're in the Word. It's, it's awesome time. So imagine if I show up tonight and I tell you something like this. You know, I've kind of been reading the news, kind of discouraged, kind of despondent, and I'm not going to use my teaching gift uh, anymore for the rest of the study of Revelation. Have a nice life. <laughs> so what would you say? He needs to get raptured. I mean, something. Yeah, no, I mean, that would not be, that, would, that doesn't help the body of Christ, does it? So what is my gift? My gift's important, and I need to use my gift. What did COVID do? It blew the church all over the place. So look at it this way. So now that the children's program's coming back, you started today, I just walked over there, it's a beautiful layout, tons of chairs, a lot of social distancing. They got their own game room, own stage, everything is awesome. I wish I was 18. They got basketball courts now, it's awesome. But when you think about all that, it takes people serving those young people to make it happen. So before COVID hit, it took 220 to 240 adults to run the children's program. That's like a church. So as we head back, that's because our numbers keep going up every Sunday. So as we head back that way, you must be saying to yourself, okay, what am I going to do? Where am I going to serve? And, uh, and there's somebody at this church who would be glad to take you in your gifting and plug you in because we're going to need you to step back in the gap as you have always done here at the church uh, to help propel us forward to impact lives for Christ. Remember, because if they're getting saved over here under the last point, 
then when they come to church, there need to be people here to then pack them for Jesus, right? That's you. And then my last point, we need to consider our fruit, our spiritual fruit. Uh, Paul talks about this in Galatians 5, 5, 16. Uh, he, another command, it's a present tense command in the Greek text, meaning it's not a choice, it's a lifestyle. He says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you don't do the things that you wish that you could do. So when you become a Christian, um, before you were a Christian, you just kind of do whatever you want to do and you're not accountable really to anybody. But then God convicts you of your sin. You need a savior. You trust him as savior. He forgives you of your sin, positional sin. And then now your goal is to take your practical walk and match it to your high lofty position in Christ. How's that going for you? Did you have a sinless week? If you say yes, you're lying. You must confess that. Because you probably had an argument or something come to church today, right? Or I don't know, church has fallen on Super Bowl and it's going to mess up your day or something. Or something. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> You're struggling, right, with the flesh. It, the flesh is always there. So, uh, so what does God do? God says, well, I want you to walk in the spirit. What, what does that mean? It means I yield to him. I yield to him. I listen to him, and I put aside those things that are godless, and he empowers me uh, to live a, a, a victorious life. So I'm going to show you kind of a graphic of what this might look like in your life. Okay. <laughs> they couldn't find a picture. They, they took my picture the other day in the office on the left-hand side. So uh, <laughs> just saying. Uh, so, I probably need counseling. Uh, so, if you think, if you, so if you think about this, uh, so in this particular wrestling match, uh, which side's God? And it's not the right-hand side. Okay, so we can say the, God is the big buff dude on the left, right? Do you, you see this? Right. So, what's he telling you like the spiritual weakling? He's telling you, hey, I got this. I got a hold of you. you know, can't you feel the power? Yield to me. Don't give in to the flesh. So when you look at our world, it's a whole bunch of non-Christians given into the flesh all the time. Why are you shocked? That's just what they do. So Paul says, now that you're Christian, don't give into the flesh. But, but then you say, well, what is the flesh? Well, he reminds you of what it is in case you are forgetting. So start with verse 18. He says, uh, in this wrestling match, he says, uh, if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, he says, are evident. And he's going to list the evident nature of fleshly things. Number one. What is it? Adultery. Uh, fornication. Greek, Greek is pornea. It means uh, any type of sexual sin outside of marriage. You name it. In our culture, it's like there's no perversion anymore in our culture, basically. But he says, no, uh, pornea. Uh, uncleanness. Lewdness. Lewdness is the Greek term which means ready to do anything. Uh, that's, a, that's a work of the flesh. So the, there's more. He's not finished. Uh, he, he says, uh, in addition to lewdness, uh, he adds uh, idolatry, uh, sorcery. Sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia. Sound familiar? See how easy it is to learn Greek? Oh, it totally sounds like pharmacy. Yeah. Because they use drugs to tap into the demonic realm. Uh, and so sorcery, uh, hatred, contentions. Like if you're a person who lives for fighting, that's when you're happy. That's a work of the flesh. Jealousies, outbursts of wrath. How are you when you're driving down the freeway? Uh, selfish ambitions. Dissensions is the Greek word for trying to bring two things together that won't go together. They keep pulling themselves apart. Wow, sounds like DC. Heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, the party spirit. And he says, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those who practice such things, you ain't going to see them in heaven. 
Why? It's the work of the flesh. This is of the devil. And he said, if you're a Christian, you have the power now not to live like that anymore. So if any of that is about your life, it's to say, God, I have a problem in that area there. Give me the victory this year to not live that way. Give me victory. Because remember, he's the strong man, ready to empower you. But what should you be doing? Well, you should be putting on the fruit of the Spirit. And, and my prayer would be that our church, which, which our culture needs, are more churches, more Christians that are courageous to live the fruit of the Spirit in a godless culture that is so mean-spirited. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, he says, well, let me explain that to you. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, number one, love. Love. So you have a couple options in Greek. And I know that Galatians is misspelled there. Do you see it? Galatians. I think that's the French version. Um, it's supposed to be an A. Because our church is super type A. Somebody's probably already seen this, haven't you? You can't even read the text because the word's misspelled. But anyway. First one's love, so you, it could be phileo, brotherly love. It could be eros, a love between a husband and a wife, etc. But this is none of those. This is agape love. This is divine love. What is divine love like? It's unconditional. See, like when Christ went to the cross and died for our sins when he didn't have to, when he died for his enemies, that's agape love. See, our culture is like, no, I, I need to get back at my enemies. I need to give them no quarter. I need to eliminate them. I'm going to destroy them. No, he said, no, live for love. Love. What else should we have? There's more. What's the next one? Joy. It's interesting that that follows love. Because if I love people, like God loves them, then there's joy in my life no matter what's going on. Joy. Uh, do you think people in our culture are really joyous on a daily basis? Go to the Pentagon. Walk around. Ask them. You happy today? <laughs> if I only had a window. Something like that. <laughs> I've been in there before several times. Uh, I feel your pain. Uh, Joy, then comes peace, internal peace. I mean, the whole world can be going, you know, you know, to the proverbial bad place, and you got peace. Why? Because I know God. I'm walking with the Spirit. Long-suffering, that patient stuff, the stuff that you learn as an older Christian, never pray for God to give it to you. Right? Because what happens if you pray for that? He instantly gives it to you. So, but eventually you learn how to be patient, long-suffering. It leads to being a kind person. Kind I mean, treating people uh, in a way that if they're mean-spirited to me and do things that are ugly, but back to them, I'm only kind. That's Jesus. Uh, being a good person. I mean, what happened to those kind of people? person who's faithful to their word. person who treats others with gentleness, not being rough and mean. And a person who's self-controlled. I mean, I was trying to get on. I got to get this off my chest. I was getting on that. <laughs> I was shopping the other night down at Woodbridge. And, I, and I'm a pretty good driver. I'm getting on the freeway, coming back, you know, 95, going north. And I'm going to get on Knox Road, you know, the exit there, circles back around by the parking ride. So, you know, I'm pulling over, but it's a merging lane next to me. So if you're the guy trying to get on the freeway that I'm already on, but I got to pull over there to take the exit, what's the American thing to do with your vehicle? I'm, in case that guy's here, I'm just talking. <laughs> Tap your brakes, right? That's a spiritual thing. Beep, beep, just hit the brakes. This guy was all over his horn. His lights are flashing me and stuff like that. So I did the spiritual thing. I tapped my brakes, slowed my vehicle down. He didn't like that. <laughs> Got him really upset. He's hitting his lights even more. Dude, I'm making a turn. I mean, do you know how easy it is to lose your spirituality on 95? <laughs> I'm just saying. Don't sit there and think, I don't know what his issues are. Just drive. Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. What else does he uh, say? He says, well, against these things, there's no law if you live this way. Uh, and then he adds this. And 
those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I mean, I took my evil inclinations and I said, God, I laid them at your altar, crucify them so they're not part of me anymore. Right? He's not done. Uh, he says, if we live, because it's conditional, because you don't have to, says, uh, if, but you're empowered to live victoriously. says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, here's some advice. Don't let us become conceited. You, you think you're that, all that in a bag of chips. No, you're not. Uh, don't be one who provokes another person. Uh, don't be envying another person. It's not spiritual. So when I look at our church and the culture in which we live, it's mean-spirited people, especially this time of year, between administration changes, it's always kind of mean-spirited. These people were fired. These people lost their jobs. I mean, it's unbelievable what, what goes on. And I look at that and I think, you know, what would a spiritual person do? Not, not how they're doing some things in our culture. What does our culture need? They need people that are just low-hanging fruit of the Spirit all over them so that they can see, ah, oh, that's how a person that walks with God lives. It's so much better. I've been tapping you into old music from the 60s, uh, trying to help the younger generation. I don't know how I'm doing, but you're probably going home, your kids are going like, what is he talking about? So I'm going to blow your mind today with a little Dion Warwick, okay? Hold on. Dion, Kevin, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so how many know Dion Warwick? Praise God for you. How many haven't a clue as to who she is? See, they're too afraid to even raise their hand. Okay, so here. So, so Dionne Warwick, back in uh, 1966, height of the Vietnam War, 1967 was the Tet Offensive. It was a gnarly time. They're burning down, you know, L.A., rioting on campuses. I mean, that's how I grew up. It kind of sounds familiar. Um, she came up with a beautiful song. And I'm not going to have her sing it, uh, but I'm, just, I'm not singing it either. But uh, what the world needs now is love. What kind of love, Kevin? Sweet love. Sweet love. Uh, thank you. True man of the 60s. Praise God for you. Uh, we'll go to lunch. Uh, we actually are going to lunch. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let's get back to the sermon. Okay. So what the world needs now is love. What kind of love? Sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love. What kind? Sweet love. Not just for some, she says, but for who? Everyone, everyone. I, I used to listen to that when I was a kid, and I would think, as I was watching L.A. burn and all the stuff I watched as a kid, you know, the choppers bringing guys in, to landing zones in Vietnam and stuff, friends getting drafted up ahead of me, brothers and stuff. And, like, and I heard this song, and I'm like, yeah, wow. But now that I'm older, I look at it, and I think, well, that was, that was true to a point. It, it's true to a point. Do we need love? Answer, well, unequivocally, yes. But before you can ever have that love for fellow man, you must first love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you love the Trinity and they love you back through the cross of Christ, then you can go around and sing, what's the world need now? Well, they need love for each other, but it starts with love of Christ first. Might we be the kind of church that uh, shows the world uh, love? by the fruit that we produce. And this is a very mature fruit-producing church. May this be a stellar bumper year because there's much work that needs to be done. And it's lunchtime. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thank you just for an opportunity to open the scriptures and challenge us, challenge me. Uh, might we truly be a, a church that is like a light set on a hill 
that shines most brightly in the darkness of the world in which we live. Might we be full of hope, joy, encouragement. Might we be brave as a church to stand for the scriptures. And might, at the end of this next year, many, many people have entered the kingdom and have been baptized because of the witness of your people. In Christ's name, amen. And God bless your afternoon. Enjoy your lunch with whatever you're doing. <laughs>